Uh, Well, friends, uh, we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus has just called his disciples to himself to be fishers of men. Uh, He's just gone up a mountain, and his disciples come to him, and he begins to teach them about life in the kingdom of heaven. He teaches them that their lives are to be different Their lives are to be so radically different to those around them that when those people see their good good works, well, they give glory not to them, but to the Father in, in heaven. What kind of life is Jesus talking about here? Well, uh, last week we saw, didn't we, Jesus' astonishing statement in chapter 5, verse 20. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 20, uh, Jesus says that his disciples are to be the ones whose righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. In fact, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It would have been a shocking statement to the disciples in Jesus' day because the Pharisees were the morally upright. In fact, they were the fanatical keepers of God's law. And here Jesus is saying that unless your righteousness or your law-keeping is better than theirs, well, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not a maybe Uh, It's not, you might not enter the kingdom. It's, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But friends, it is possible to know the law and even be fanatical about the law without actually wanting to keep the law, isn't it? You can try to find loopholes in the law so that you keep the letter of the law but not its spirit, You can minimise the application of the law by doing just the bare minimum because you really don't want to keep the law. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were like. They were like a a rotten onion that looks uh, perfectly good on the outside because they were upright and respectable. But if you peeled back the layers of the onion, well, you would find a rotten core a rotten heart. But Jesus says that his disciples will be different. Their righteousness will exceed that of the Pharisees, for they will have hearts that are transformed by God to gladly desire obedience to his law. They will not minimize the law, but they will maximize the application of the law. They will live in such a way that when others see them, they will see that God himself has touched their lives. They will say, not that Huey is a great person, but they will say rather, I wonder what kind of a God that Huey worships, because there is something different about him. Are you and I disciples who obey God's law from the heart? Uh, well, uh, if you have a look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 48, uh, verses 21 to 48, uh, we saw last week that uh, Jesus gives six examples of what it looks like for disciples of Jesus to obey God's law from the heart. Uh, and you may have noticed that 
Each of these examples follows a particular pattern. Uh, Jesus begins each example by quoting what the people in Jesus' day have heard said about the Old Testament law. Uh, You have heard that it was said to those of old. In verse 21, you have heard that it was said in verse 27. It was also said in verse 31, and so on and so forth. But then Jesus says in each example, but I say to you, I say to you, but I say to you. Uh, These are uh, words of great authority. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, let me tell you what the Old Testament law is really about. Uh, Sometimes the Old Testament law is quoted fairly directly here. Uh, And so, for example, in verse 27, you'll see that Jesus says, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, Where does that come from? Well, that's just the the seventh commandment, isn't it, in the Ten Commandments. But if you go down to uh, verse 43, verse 43, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Well, that wasn't part of God's law, was it? Uh, Where did God ever say in the Old Testament that you should hate your enemy? Now, I think this is what some of Jesus' contemporaries, some of the teachers that were around uh, during Jesus' time, were, were saying about the law. And so what Jesus is doing here is He's not attacking the law itself, but he is attacking false understandings of the law that were being spread by people like the Pharisees. Uh, Now, last week we looked at the the first and last examples uh, on murder and uh, loving your neighbour. But uh, today I thought it would be good for us to focus in uh, on the second example uh, about the law against adultery, as well as the third example where Jesus speaks about the law on divorce. However, before we look at uh, these verses together, I just want to say that for many of us, very painful this morning to hear Jesus speaking about these things. Uh, For the things that Jesus says here touch on the topic of human sexuality. Uh, Human sexuality is a great gift of God uh, and it's a very powerful gift of God that is designed to bond a man and a woman together in marriage such that its misuse can often lead to great pain and confusion and feelings of guilt. And it is in this context that you and I will hear the words of Jesus. Uh, Further, the mere mention of the word divorce, I'm sure, will be very painful to some of us. Uh, God has given us marriage as the most intimate of human relationships, such that divorce always leads to unspeakable pain. Uh, Many of you know the heartache of seeing your parents get divorced. Some of us have been through divorce ourselves, and know its devastating consequences, not only on yourself and your spouse, but also on your children and wider family. And I'm sure uh, pretty much everyone here knows somebody who has been divorced before. 
And so we bring to this topic many painful emotions. Uh, But I just want to encourage us as far as possible uh, to listen to what Jesus has to say here, trusting as his disciples that what he has to say to us uh, is always good and is always right. And so uh, let's uh, first, firstly have a look at the law against adultery. Uh, this is a very well-known law in the Ten Commandments, isn't it? But what would the Pharisee do with this law against adultery? Well, the Pharisee would say to himself, as long as I do not commit the physical act of sleeping with somebody who is not my wife or my husband then that is all that is required of me. And I can feel righteous about myself. That's what lots of people do with the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Uh, Most people, uh, when you ask them about the Ten Commandments, usually only know a few. Um, Adultery is one of them, and probably murder. And they think, just because I haven't done these things, then I'm a righteous person, and God will see me as a righteous person. Uh, The classic example of this, uh, of course, was the former President of the United States who many years ago looked straight at a television camera and spoke the words, now famous, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Uh, Most of us, I think, are old enough to remember those words. Uh, What he meant by that was that he did not have genital intercourse with a young White House intern, although he did engage in various sexual acts with her. You see, he was speaking with his lawyers and trying to define the phrase sexual relations in such a way that would excuse his behaviour so that he could not be accused of adultery. We do this sort of thing as well, don't we? Uh, Often Christian couples who are dating uh, ask the question, how far can I go with my partner before I fall into sexual immorality? Uh, Is holding hands okay? Is kissing okay? Is touching okay? What kind of touching is okay? How far can I go before I fall into sin? You see, it's not really about wanting to obey God from the heart at that point, is it? It's trying to see what you can get away with because you do not really want to obey the things that God says. But what does Jesus say? Uh, Well, have a look with me at verse 28. Uh, Verse 28, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, Now, Jesus speaks to men here, uh, presumably because the disciples who were with him were men. But I think this applies equally to the women. And uh, you need to kind of uh, work out uh, the appropriate translation uh, as we we go ahead. But uh, what is Jesus saying here? Uh, Well, I don't think he is saying that it is wrong to look at a member of the opposite sex and to have feelings of sexual attraction or sexual arousal. 
Uh, our sexual appetites are a gift from God, and uh, we mustn't feel guilty about what are normal and healthy sexual feelings. Uh, in fact, one well-known preacher in Sydney uh, keeps on saying, if you don't have these kind of feelings, if you see an attractive member of the opposite sex, then go and see a doctor. Uh, you need to go and have it checked out because you're probably not healthy. But what then is Jesus talking about? Well, uh, he's speaking here about looking at a woman who is not your wife in order to get her to feel sexually attracted to you. Now, that's what he's talking about here. Literally, uh, Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman for her to lust after you has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Everyone who looks at a woman for her to lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, uh, this is talking about, you know, flirting. It's talking about the lingering look at the person of the opposite sex, uh, thinking about the possibility of getting that woman to sleep with you or enter into some sort of illicit relationship. You're in the office. Uh, you've been noticing an attractive lady who works near your desk. She's very friendly. Uh, not like your wife, who's always nagging at you. You start to make excuses to keep on visiting her desk. She looks even more attractive. And before long, she has your heart, and you start to fantasize about the possibilities with her. Jesus says, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. Um, I was speaking to Tom, who's an engineer. Uh, he says there aren't many women uh, in his workplace, um, so that, that may be a gift. Uh, you're on holidays at a beach, uh, lying on a deck chair. Uh, there are lots of attractive men not wearing too much clothing. Your gaze rests on one in particular. No one will ever know where your eyes are darting around because, well, you've got sunglasses on. <laughs> and so you continue to look and you wonder how you can keep on bumping into this person accidentally. Jesus says, you have already committed adultery in your heart. You're in front of the computer screen. Uh, we, we can keep on going with the illustrations, can't we? Uh, and I reckon uh, the devil will be saying to everyone in this room that actually uh, he's talking about me and I'm the only one who has ever sinned in this way. But uh, let me assure you that I think this is an area where all of us have sinned uh, and I have sinned in this area. And so uh, we all know the guilt and shame. But how are disciples of Jesus to exceed the, the righteousness of the Pharisees when it comes to the law against adultery? How is it that they can be better than the Pharisees? Well, it's by radical repentance. And uh, you can see it there in verse 29, can't you? Have a look with me at verse 29. Uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out 
and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Uh, Now, some Christians in the past have taken this uh, very literally and have mutilated themselves in order to obey Jesus here. Uh, I think they had it right in taking sin so seriously. But I don't think Jesus is talking about literally gouging out your eyes here or cutting off your limbs if they cause you to sin. Because sin resides in the heart, isn't it? I mean, you can gouge out your right eye because uh, it's causing you to sin, but you can keep on using your left eye to sin, can't you? And you can gouge out both eyes, but you can still use your imagination to sin. You see, sin resides in the heart. And Jesus says that his disciples will have such a transformed heart that they will radically repent of their sin. Uh, One Christian man that I know changed his job because he found himself getting too close to a woman in the workplace who was not his wife. Uh, That's fairly radical, isn't it? Another Christian man I know moved his computer out of his bedroom into the lounge room where it would be more difficult to view pornography. That's pretty radical. Uh, I know lots of people who have um, taken the courage to fess up to some of these sins to another Christian brother or sister because they didn't want to keep it secret. Uh, Often sin breeds in secret, doesn't it? And the longer you keep keeping it secret, the worse and worse it gets. That's radical repentance. Friends, hear what Jesus has to say here. Sin is so serious that it can send you and me to hell. And so, if you and I are disciples of Jesus, then we are to radically repent from the heart. We are not to tinker with sin and to see just how far we can go before we fall. We are not to minimize our sinfulness, saying that it's just a look, it's not too bad. For Jesus says that there is a look that can kill. No, our righteousness is to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And so disciples will be the ones who maximize the application of God's law in our lives. Uh, You may have heard the story of a man who was looking for a chauffeur to uh, uh, drive his much-prized Rolls-Royce. Uh, Three candidates came to the interview and he gave each of them a challenge. Uh, Each each of them was to show how close he could drive along the edge of a cliff. Uh, The first, with great skill, drove the car within a metre of the cliff's edge. The second managed to get even closer. But the third man stayed at least... 10 metres away from the edge. The owner then made his decision. It's the third man who will get the job, isn't it? 
I don't want a chauffeur who will take any risks with my beloved car. That's sort of what Jesus is saying here, I think. The one who is blessed is the disciple who goes out of his way to protect his marriage, to protect his purity, because he understands the intent of his maker. Uh, Well, let's have a look next at what Jesus says about divorce. Uh, And to understand this, uh, I think we need to turn back to the Old Testament law on divorce. And so uh, keep your finger in Matthew 5 and turn back with me, if you have uh, your Bibles there, to Deuteronomy 24. And uh, let's pick it up from verse 1. Deuteronomy 24. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 1. Have you got it? Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Uh, Now friends, notice firstly the structure of this law. Uh, This law in Deuteronomy says if something happens and if something happens after that, then you will not do something. Okay? Uh, If something happens, if something happens, then you will not do something. Uh, If a man marries a woman and because of some indecency in her, the man decides to divorce her by giving her a, a certificate of divorce. And if this ma- woman that has just been divorced marries another man uh, and he divorces her by giving her a certificate of divorce, then, then this woman is not to be taken back by the first man, is what this law is saying, isn't it? Uh, Don Johnson uh, married... Melanie Griffith, but divorced her in 1976. Melanie Griffith subsequently married another man in 1981. Uh, What this law says is that Don Johnson cannot have Melanie Griffith back as his wife again. Uh, You see, this is not a law that commands divorce. Uh, even if his wife has committed indecency, some act of indecency. But if the man chooses to divorce the woman, then this law prevents the two getting back together again uh, after multiple marriages in the future. But what will the Pharisees do with this particular law? Well, uh, if you go back to Matthew 5... Uh, Turn back with me to Matthew 5. If you go back there, it seems they were saying Deuteronomy 24 
is a law that allows for easy divorce. Uh, I think that's reflected in verse 31, uh, where they are saying, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Uh, Divorce is simply about giving a certificate to make it all official, and then you can just trade in your first model for the next one. Further, we know that the Pharisees also started to ask questions about the grounds for divorce. Uh, If you remember in Deuteronomy 24, the law spoke about the husband divorcing the wife if he finds some sort of indecency in her. But what does indecency mean? You see, they started to do that classic pharisaical thing of starting to tinker with the definition of words. Uh, Some rabbis during Jesus' time said that indecency means any kind of sexual misconduct on the part of the wife. Others said indecency is anything that displeases the husband, including burning last night's dinner. You see, they were looking for loopholes in order to get away with divorce. But listen to what Jesus says. He says in verse 32, have a look with me at verse 32. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Notice here that if a man divorces his wife, he causes his wife to commit adultery and the person she subsequently marries to commit adultery. Uh, Well, why will this be the case? Well, I think it's the case because in God's eyes, she is still married to her first husband, you see. It doesn't matter that the husband has given her a piece of paper that says divorce on it. In God's eyes, the divorce is not valid. She is still married to her first husband, and any subsequent marriage, therefore, will be adulterous. Now, this is not an indictment on the woman for causing adultery. Rather, it is an indictment on the man for initiating the divorce and implicating his wife in adultery. But it can work the other way around as well, can't it? If the woman initiates the divorce, well, she implicates her husband in adultery and she will be just as guilty. Now, the only exception to this uh, that Jesus allows for is the case of sexual immorality. I think what Jesus is saying here is do not bring your marriage to an end by divorce unless your wife or your husband, for that matter, effectively brings it to an end for you by engaging in sexual activity with another person. Uh, Even then, there is no command in the Bible that you must get a divorce. Even then, there is the possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation. But Jesus can contemplate divorce if the wife has been sexually unfaithful with another man. But in every other case, disciples of Jesus are to be faithful to their wedding promises. Faithful for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death parts them. 
But that is the character of God, isn't it? The character of the God who pursued wayward people, unfaithful people like us, and brought us to himself to be his bride and his church. Well, uh, what does all that mean for us who are disciples of Jesus? Uh, I've got uh, three very general things uh, to say. And uh, uh, let me stress that they are very general things. And so if there are specific things or things that are uh, particularly complicated uh, in the relationships that we're part of, uh, then uh, can I encourage you to come and speak to uh, either myself or someone uh, who is a member of staff at church Uh, to talk through some of these things. But here are three very general things. Firstly, if you are married, then do not seek a divorce. If you are married, do not seek a divorce. Be faithful to your marriage promises. Now, this goes for men as well as for women, but especially the men. The best Mother's Day present you can give to your wife is your commitment each and every day that you will not leave her in the lurch. Now, there are times, of course, when marriages can get into real trouble and uh, it may be appropriate to separate uh, for a time uh, if you are being physically abused uh, in your marriage at the moment, for example. You need to separate from your partner. You cannot stay in that relationship uh, as it is. Or, if your marriage is completely dysfunctional at the moment, well, it may be uh, helpful to separate for a period of time. But the Bible speaks of separation in 1 Corinthians 7, not in order to divorce and then to remarry, but as a period of time where you can work at reconciliation and forgiveness and repentance so that you can uh, go back to the, the first partner that you have made promises to until you are parted by death. But what if uh, we are... Rem- Sorry, uh, secondly, secondly, uh, you may be here and you are divorced... Uh, There are many people in our churches who are divorced and what God will say to you is that you are to do everything within your power to be reconciled with your husband or your wife. However, if reconciliation is impossible because of the constant unfaithfulness and uh, infidelities of your spouse, then possibly you can contemplate remarrying another person. And if you have married another person because this has been the reason, then thank God for this new relationship. Uh, Learn from the mistakes of the past and seek to be faithful to this new partner that you have now united yourself to. But fine. But what if uh, we are remarried and it was wrong in God's eyes? What if we are remarried and it was wrong in God's eyes? Well, it's impossible to go back now, isn't it? Uh, It's impossible to go back 
even if we wanted to go back to the past and to the way things were, well, that is an impossibility. And so all we can do is to seek forgiveness from God for our past wrongs, as well as from those we have wronged, such as our previous partner or children from our previous relationships, and seek to live in peace with them. We are to do everything to seek uh, good and to seek peace uh, with those people that we may have heard in the past. However, you have now given your marriage promises to another person. And so you are to honour those promises and sacrificially love the one that you are now with. Uh, But finally, uh, a word to us all. Uh, I hope and pray that uh, as we've been hearing God's word this morning, uh, that we are not hearing this uh, simply as a word for others. Uh, Some of us uh, will be struggling with sexual purity, and uh, we know uh, the difficulties of that, and we know our sinfulness. Uh, Some of us uh, are struggling in our marriages, and we'll know our sinfulness before God as we open up God's word. But even if these things are not particular issues for us, then I'm sure that for all of us, we will have other things that we need to deal with. Uh, Some of us are angry with others. Uh, Some of us are not good at keeping our word. We say one thing but do another. Some of us want to take revenge on others who have hurt us. Some of us are simply unloving. Uh, All of us are sinful and we need the forgiveness that is available only at the foot of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only as we are washed clean by his blood and forgiven by, by him that we can live as disciples whose righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer of confession. Um, but before we say these words, uh, confessing our sins to God and asking for his forgiveness, uh, let me give us a moment to think about our own sinfulness, uh, the things that we need to uh, bring before God, uh, the things that have been exposed by God's word this morning. And uh, I'll give us a moment to think about what repentance uh, might look like for us. And uh, after we do that for a few moments, let's pray together, uh, confessing our sins to God.